0: Welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Beyond Zero, I'm your host Ben, joining me today is Isabella Stratford. Isabella is a writer and artist. Her new novel, Fabulé, How It Begins, is out now, and she joins me from her home in the UK. Welcome to the show, Isabella.
1: Hello, how are you today?
0: I'm very well, thank you. Thank you. How is life in the UK at the moment?
1: Um, You know, you've seen the news, it's insane. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I don't think anyone's getting any work done, we're just sitting staring at politics. Um, I think that that's really just sums up how life is. Strange. Wishing it was other.
0: And who will be the new British PM?
1: I actually don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I believe it's probably going to be Rishi Sinek. Yeah. Um, But, you know, um, general election now, what can I say?
0: Yeah. Very insane. Crazy. <laughs> well, I thought Liz Truss would last a little bit longer, but never mind.
1: I, I barely really registered her, but I'm very amused. I was reading something the other day where it was talking about, you know, all of those things of you know um, the late queen having died, and mm. now Liz Truss is in all the photographs, and it's going to be like afterwards, who the hell was that?
0: So, <laughs> yes, the last so, the like, last photo of the queen will be with Liz Truss, and no one will remember who she is.
1: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know what I thought. Um, you know, I was really hopeful that we were, when she came out to do that that speech that she was going to announce a general election, um, you know, like I think a lot of the UK are kind of hoping for that, but, you know, she didn't. So here we go. Nothing roundabout. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, as an artist in the UK, the, you run an MA program at De Montfort oh, do University. Do, do you do want to tell you. us about your work as an artist and the MA program?
1: Um, so, um, so the MA program is, um, you know, it's a, uh, uh, it's quite an exciting program we're actually i'm actually just rewriting it at the moment so it's one of my big tasks for the year is to um to revalidate the program in, in line with sort of very contemporary practice which is really exciting um we have you know quite a few international students and quite a few sort of more local students um and it's a very sort of broad based um, fine arts course um you know, it's driven, it's perhaps a bit more curatorial than most fine art courses would be because of my own sort of research of my own interests. Um, and I think uh, the way that I normally describe myself um, uh, as an artist is that I have a really expanded lens-based practice. So I come out of a tradition of fine art photography and experimental filmmaking, um, and that, you know, becomes working with objects and texts and prints and projections and site based work pretty much anything except painting so yeah so that's kind of um that's broadly speaking what i do um and i've been doing that for about 20 years so
0: can i ask you what inspired your journey into the world of arts
1: spite well, really really honestly no, i would be really i've been wow. really i've be really blunt um <laughs> So, so yeah, spite at thinking seeing someone's work and thinking, God, I could do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really dreadful. But I'm actually quite spite driven if I want to kind of, you know, if I if I want to kind of make something happen, I'll quite often, you know, think about um, something, you know, that's some, when someone said to me, Oh, you won't be able to do that, and you know, I'm like, watch me. Okay. So um yeah, so but I think um even as a child, I was really interested in photography so both my grandfathers were really keen amateur photographers and so when i was one of my grandfathers died when i was really young when i was about 8 and um he left me his polaroid cameras and i remember um being on the banks of the rhine and uh taking a photograph of the sunlight through birch leaves and just you know it you know how it is with those pol- with those old polaroids it comes out and you kind of you have to rip the the kind of the polaroid Um, film out and then it literally just blooms in your hand and I stood there and I had the birch leaves with the sun sort of streaming through them and flickering and then I had the photograph of the same and I was like there was like some kind of magic in that moment and after that I was always really interested in this kind of idea of the real and the representation and and the kind of tension between the two so I think um I think that was it and then um i just became i think i became really interested in fashion photography um again when i was a teenager um although mostly i just read poetry and sulked and you know did that sort of thing um i was really interested in a lot of the the styling of those images and um the way that they were then subsequently read um and objects you know always kind of this i had a fascination with objects so um so, yeah, I ended up um, doing a course and much to my surprise, you know, they my tutors were like, you should think about going to university and doing this. And I was like, oh, really? They were just like, yeah. So I did. And I went, um, I went to Sheffield, actually, and I had an absolute, I had a really wonderful time. And I learned all sorts of really weird ways of calling the things that I already did art. Um, and I understood that actually that's what I was doing. I just hadn't really been able to articulate that before. And, yeah, I haven't really looked back.
0: Amazing. And you didn't really grow up in the UK, did you? You grew up in no. Germany and Cyprus. Do you want to tell us a bit about yeah. your upbringing?
1: Yeah. So um, so I think, um, you know, I don't want to say too much about, about my dad's job, but, you know, because of what my dad did, um, I grew up in Germany um, and then, um, I was in boarding school in the UK for a little while. And, um, then my, uh, my parents were abroad and then they took me up to Cyprus with them. And so I kind of completed all my sort of education stuff out there. Um, and, you know, just really, you know, when I look back on it thinking, you know, that's just, it's a really colonial kind of upbringing. Um, but that sort of wasn't, I mean, you know, I was a child and I didn't know anything about that really. So, um, but it just made me feel, you know, very open, it was sort of very European. Mm. Um, so yeah, the current UK, the UK's current environment's not really
0: the post-Brexit um, environment.
1: The post-Brexit environment, yeah. It's hard.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not over it. I have a Brexit garden. <laughs> or oh, in fact, what I did <laughs> is I planted, because I'm a really keen gardener. Yeah. Um, and I planted basically um a European flag in uh, daffodils and um, uh, muscari, great pyosants, so it rises every spring in in March, (laughs) in this really irritating fashion, and I've purely done it just to kind of, you know, just to to make this political statement, so. Yeah.
0: Reading into what you didn't want to say about your dad, does that mean he was a spy?
1: Not quite, no, <laughs> uh, no, but it's uh, yeah. I I just don't want to say too much about that. No so yeah.
0: Very interesting. Okay, I'll I'll just I'll feel free to let my imagination roam. <laughs> I'm Thanks.
1: very very interested in spy literature, though.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, one of the other things I was really re- interested in about your work was your project mm-hmm. Hawk and Dove, and your research into oh, yes. one of my favourite historical figures, Gaston here. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. do you want to tell us a bit more about uh, that project and the fascinating to Sandier?
1: yeah so so I think um so I'd gone off to uh, so I was resident um artist in residence at the Library of Congress and um I was looking at I was really there to look at sort of the Reagan Star Wars material um that they had in archive but for one reason or another it was actually became impossible for me to to work on it and um I was actually really quite bored. Um, I didn't really know what to do. The the centre in which I was resident was amazing and had the most amazing sort of access, but they weren't really set up for um, people who research by practice, which is what I do. Um, So um, at some point while I was there, um, a a pigeon or some kind of dove um, got into the main reading room Um, and it was just for a few days it was kind of like all over the the, like the radio the local radio and so I heard people using these terms about the hawks and doves of you know congress and so it became it just it was something that just really caught my ear Um, and I started to think about it a lot so I started to explore these terms and I was also looking at other material um i was looking at a lot of kind of um material which was maybe around the history of science and so i was looking at um uh you know books of the cosmos and and these sorts of things and um thinking about um early flight predominantly so um when I realised that they had um, an archive, you know, belonging to the Desondiers Brothers, I was able to to access that, and some of the material that I found in it, you know, the um, uh, plates of these incredible balloons and accounts, um, and so I was looking at that, um, and the Wright Brothers Diaries, which was also really incredible. Um, And I went out on a road trip to um, Outer Banks uh, in South Carolina, where the first flights were, and um, it just all made sense, you know, as soon as, so, so for me, um, actually being on site in location is is a really sort of big issue in work. And as soon as I got there, I realised why they'd had to do that there and why it could possibly only have been done there. Um, and so I came back and um, I was just kind of bringing together this project, starting to think about um, what went on, you know, what co- what the library is for, which is to advise Congress, what sorts of decisions were being made, the other stuff that I was writing um, around sort of military vision, uh, which was to do with my PhD, and um, how they might all come together. So I, I, I thought, okay, so what I really need to do is, um, I really actually need to stage, uh, you know, some live action thing, in here with actual hawks and doves, Um, and obviously that's not very ethical, um, but also um, it doesn't quite speak to the militarised landscape that I was thinking of, and So I thought, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that as my proposal, but put this backup proposal of actually I'm going to do it with some prototype drones or or zeppelins. Um, I'd looked at lots of material um, um, uh, in the archives. In fact, I've I've completely forgotten which archive now, which is a bit hideous, but feels like a really long time ago, Um, which was really all about, um, you know, the voyage of... um, voyages of various kind of zeppelins and their untimely ends um, and um, there's some amazing footage of one of the giant zeppelins um, just outside of uh, the capital and when we so we were trying to work out where the photograph was taken from we realized it was from the Perth laureate's office mm. um, so all of these things kind of became very interesting and um, so I proposed this to the library and they said all right if you can raise the money you can do it and i knew that they really didn't didn't to do it um so i went away and i raised the money and i came back and um so uh on in relation to this there was a uh, so uh, there was a um a call out for curators for, for um the national cherry blossom festival so washington dc was going to have its first public art festival um, so I, uh, said to a curator that I know, do you know, this would be a really great way of getting my project made. Um, if you were to put something together for that, um, you know, that would give me another $20,000, um, on top of what I've already re- raised and it would be really hard for anyone to say no. Um, and so they pitched for it and they got it. And so, uh, the Cherry Blossom Festival commissioned five different works, um, from British artists and one of them was Hawk and Dove. So we then went out to um uh, or I, I went back to DC in fact and um filmed both there and on site in the um Dr. Martin King Jr. Memorial Library, um, who were the most wonderful people to work with, absolutely the most accommodating, the most visionary, um, just absolutely you know that they they basically said okay yes we think this project's amazing come in and let's kind of let's play with the space um so and of course the library of congress is a very different kettle of fish it's you know it's a national monument um you know it is um it has to be looked after in a really particular sort of way and you know since i think these sorts of things have been perhaps more evident since you know January the 6th 2021 and all of these sorts of things but um, you know it has these tunnels which connect the library to congress so everything that comes in and has to be really really carefully screened so I ended up um, uh, sealing a guy in a van um, in Alexandria and um, with two inflated um, prototype drones inside because it's illegal to take helium onto Capitol Hill (laughs) which I found out during 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 the making of the project everyone said yes 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 you can do it you can do it you can do it and then they were just like but how are you going to get the helium in there because it's illegal so we ended up in this sort of really elaborate sort of TSA style um thing with you know walkie-talkies and police and you know all of this kind of stuff anyway we got them in and um Then we had, so we had a, they'd given us a two hour filming slot sort of from five in the morning. And actually we were there all morning and we were able to use lots of amazing spaces and um, film. And it was, so when you see the film, the film is very, um, it's really elegant. It's really balletic. Like just, it didn't look like that. That's what, not what the experience of it was like. Um, But you see, you have these sort of, you know, you have hawk and dove and they are having their own little kind of choreographed dogfight, um, you know, uh, through this sort of centre of of of, um, I guess, the politicisation of learning, um, and in this place where advice is given around how these defence decisions are made, um, and yeah, and then it was actually shown, uh, we we um, turned the one of the upper floors of the um uh Martin Luther king library um which is a mies van der rohe building so it's really really kind of elegant and beautiful um and we turned one of the upper offices into a cinema screen so the film played out over the street you know for um for a week um and so it really became part of the so so the, so the the insides of these spaces became part of the outsides just of that experience it was it was an amazing experience actually and quite a weird thing to do
0: (laughs) I do want to briefly ask you about the whole Ronald Reagan Star Wars thing did you actually end up like seeing some of those archives and getting into some of that information
1: no no I didn't I I didn't um I I think I I probably thought I might go back um and then I you know i have been busy um but I think also I'd come to an end of my Sort of roughly around the time, maybe around the time I'd finished um, installing Hawk and Dove, um, I was coming to the end of my PhD, and I d- I couldn't really wait any longer, so I just kind of wrapped it up, yeah, um, and never saw that material. But um, I did. I mean, I wrote about drones for quite a while afterwards. Um, but I think I've pretty much stopped doing that now too. I think that, you know, these things are kind of seasonal in your sort of intellectual life really. And um, yeah, it's not that I'm not interested anymore. And occasionally someone will send me, you know, something for a conference and say, oh, you should go, you should put something in for this. And I'm like, no. and I always bite and I'm like, oh yeah, I could. And then I'm like, <laughs> do I really want to? I think I really, I'm kind of quite happy where I am with the kind of work I'm making now, so.
0: Yeah.
1: Okay.
0: Well, with your art, what are you working mm. on at the moment?
1: So, I just did, um, I just made uh, three film poems um, for a show in London this summer. Um, and I showed, so I'm working in between kind of writing the text and kind of producing the visual material. Um, and so, I made um, uh, one which was a uh, sort of the first sort of formal poetic thing I think that I've, I've ever really written um which was uh um, and it is a pay to Sophie Blanchard who I also discovered in the Tissondier archive and the material about her life and I made another piece which is called uh, timeline moons for proxy touching um so because I'm really interested in kind of like networks of visual touch um and then I made Another piece which is kind of interesting because it took the idea of that, it took the um, cyanometer and I sampled. So I had um I had a high-res image of the cyanometer sent to me and I sampled a section of each of those um gradations of blue, um, which I then um reprojected and animated, and then I wrote or I had written over um quite some time. Um, a number of texts, in fact, 52 texts on blue, which I then put with it. Um, so they all showed together. I'm really interested in texts and images and how they circulate on social media. And I, I I think since COVID, had to really develop a new way of working or in some ways go back to some older ways of working. Um, so, yeah, so I think I'm still working. I'm still working that out, really. Um, I don't quite know what I'm making next. I think maybe I kind of have a a list of things that I have I've become very interested in, material things like Pearl and Silver and Swans Down. Um, so I, I think what I'm doing is I'm collecting visual material and written material to kind of place them together in some way but I don't know what that way will be yet that was that's kind of the, that's the exciting bit you don't know yeah so um and I started making these editions as well um and I did one called um maybe last year 2021 um called the catalogue of unsatisfied desires which uh, came from something I st- started working on in the dark room when I was an undergraduate actually so like 20 years ago um and that became uh, an experimental essay that I made on Twitter, which was then commissioned for a book called Do Not Make Them." And then when I was doing a reading from Do Not Make The, um, someone said to me, this would be really amazing as just like a series of texts. Um, and so I also have a real interest in Twitter bots. So I have um, a number of, I really like the way that they just kind of um, they act like imaginative death depth charges. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of drop this little bit of text and then kind of they don't do anything with it. know, I think that's it, it's this, um, it's not quite, they don't act like a prompt, but they act like something that expands thinking. Um, so when I had been constructing the catalogue of unsatisfied desires, they had this real um and the bot that's associated with that, they have three. It's that the grammar is three things so it was always a um like a commercial thing you know so it might be orange trainers or whatever um a political aim so um you know an election um or and then some sort of romantic desire um and they also they always came in these sort of sets of three which were quite strange so for the edition i just um i simplified it all and it looks like poetry. I'm not going to say it is poetry, but it looks like it. Um, so I think of them as um, these sorts of incidental texts that I then reuse. Um, and I, I've got another one which I'm I'm working on, which I've almost finished um, at the moment, which is called The Divine Whatevers, which is going to come out um, probably at the end of November or the beginning of December. Depends how fast I get my skates on. Um, and that is, um, yeah, that's about love, really. (laughs) I think that's uh, their sort of text in and around love and in and around the ritual of, um, rituals that stand in for other rituals, I think was how I I described the kind of the title piece. But they're all, um, they're sort of incidental texts, but they, they operate for me like a print might, um, you know if you're a printmaker so you might print 15 of something um, and they all operate in the same way so they're quite short run I mean the the catalogue of unsatisfied desires was a run of 75 um, and then the divine whatever's will probably be a run of 50 because I think I'm comfortable with around 50 yeah. Um, so um, yeah so those are the only um, pieces of work that I sell so um, and and that's it's an experiment in that for me, as to how I feel about that and you know, whether people are interested, actually. Mm-hmm. but it's also a way of getting some of this material that I it's not that I don't know what it is, but is um is 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 a bit strange um and doesn't really fit into kind of a literary publishing um format. um and and you know, I, th- I think probably if I were to say I also, sometimes produce these as wall drawings on a really, really large scale. So I might gild them um, or glue them or mother of pearl them onto a really big wall. Mm. Um, it kind of it, you know, they they come from these sorts of things. And also I make these really tiny cards with things on in, in which are uh what I do is I, I put them into books that I like in random bookshops across the UK. That's cool. And I've been doing this for quite some time and it's it's kind of like stealing in reverse. Yeah you know I'm taking something and I slide it in and I really like this moment for some which I've never witnessed but I think would be <laughs> I would love personally to open a book and have something like this fall out. So so I have um I, I can't actually there's one just on my bookcase I can't actually quite reach it to show you but um they they say things like like um truth is structured like a fiction and you know um in this matter of the visible everything is a trap. And you know they—they're they're all quite—they have these—they have their, their tool, the letterpress tooled, um, and they're always kind of like these really glamorous colors, and you yeah. know, so they are these sorts of little surprises that I just like to leave. That's
0: amazing. Okay, I want to find one of those. That would be great.
1: <laughs> I would just start leaving
0: that. them around. I think I, I might start doing that. I think it's a great idea.
1: It's, I think I I'm pretty sure that I've stolen this idea straight from um Thomas Clark, the poet. Yeah. Um I have a feeling that maybe he and his wife did some project. And I remember mm. him coming to talk, um, you know, to do an artist talk when I was an undergraduate. And the stuff that I wrote down from there, which I kind of I've obviously kind of really synthesized and taken away, but I can't remember who who said it. So I'm not gonna, you know, but I think they it works in a really nice way. So mm.
0: I like it. All right, let's move on to Fabulae, your novel. Okay. It's a brilliant modern dialogue and response to Cadmus and Harmony by Roberta Colasso. It's in the form of a novel. It's kind of got three, I guess, narrative strands in it in a way, but you mix forms and genres and you play with typesetting, narration. Do you want to tell us a bit more about how the project got started and the structure you used within the book?
1: I, I do. It's, it's very strange for me to hear it, uh, it described as a novel because that's so not how I think of it. Um, I mean, you know, that's almost the opposite of how I think of it, in fact. Um, but so it, it started. So um, uh, I picked up a copy of um, A Marriage of Cadmus and Harmony, um, probably not very long after it was first translated into English. So, um, you know, in the early 90s and um, I'd never read anything like it actually, um, you know, I don't have um, literary training in that sort of way. So I haven't done an English literature degree or anything. So I was really not, um, didn't have a kind of broad understanding of, of, I don't know, whatever that is. Um, But there were certain things in it that I can't stop thinking about. And the thing I was really intrigued was this um, question that Colossal asks over and over, how did it all begin? and I would say so I read this book on and off for for very many years and eventually I thought oh you know what I really need is um, I need to have an encounter with it I need to have this kind of really um, I need to really understand what it is something's going on between me and this book and I don't know what it is so um, I decided that um, one of the things that would be really interesting to me would be to tried to capture my sense of reading it um, and the questions that it threw up for me and the things that I had to go away and look up and, you know, because it's Colasso after all and, you know, he is enorm- this enormous fountain of erudition and, um, you know, he knows about so many things and things i just never heard of and so I needed to go away and look a lot of things up and so, so I thought about this and then... So I maybe wrote um, a paragraph and then um, I kind of couldn't work out how to sustain it. So I put it in a drawer and I went away and I did something else, uh, which is quite normal for me in in making work. And then I thought to myself, get a grip. Um, you really kind of want to understand what this thing is. So let's see. Um, let's see. What we'll do is um, uh, you can read and write at the same time so um, you can read and write at the same time. And so i that's literally what I did. I read the book and I wrote my, my reading of it. Um, and then it became clear that this was a really massive rabbit hole that I could fall down in a kind of pretty eternal way. So I decided I'd put a time limit on it. So I would do it for 35 minutes or maybe... Um, Using the Pomodoro technique, which I slightly expand to 35 minutes because that kind of suits me. Um, and then so that's what I did. I read it and I wrote it every day uh for about 35 minutes. Sometimes I did two on really high days and holidays. I would, or where things were really sticky, I might allow myself to do three or four, but very rarely. Um, as many as that. And I just worked on it till it was done, and it was one hundred and fifty thousand words uh, in in several notebooks. And I just looked at it and thought, What on earth is this? What have you written? Um And um so I didn't have any sense of writing it for publication at this point. Um, I really was just trying to solve a problem. So um I, I then then obviously it, it was a material problem because it's not on a computer I can't send it to anyone I'm not going to send my one and only copy through the post so I thought okay so I'm going to type out a bit and it started to kind of come out and and I was very interested in this moment of um of this change of what I think is, is a change of draft um because I had this thing which was very prosy and when it kind of went through my body and into the, you know, into the laptop, it changed into something else. Um, And I don't have any sort of explanations to that, apart from that's just what I do. Um, So, um, so I wrote it, I wrote the first chapter of it, or what was the first chapter, and I sent it to a really good friend who's an experienced writer, um, and who I trust not to actually fall about laughing and I said to her, I think I'm doing something, I think I'm actually doing something with this, what do you think? Um, And she came back to me and she was like, yeah, this is really interesting. Um, You know, you need to keep going with this, but also, you know, it's poetry, right? And I was just like, wash that filth right out of your mouth. um, Because I just really didn't see it in that sort of sense at all. Again, I, I still see these things as kind of being sort of um incidental texts, even where they have our sort of rhythmic, um component um so i worked on it um and um once i had a draft a full draft which was maybe about fifty thousand words at this point i then actually asked on twitter if anyone would like to read it um and maybe i think about 20 people said that they would so i sent each person a different chapter and then i had some really just incredible feedback you know so generous and really really helpful. Um, feedback you know from from the people saying you know, this is just really amazing I want to read the rest to people actually giving me you know proper textual you know commentary um, so then I uh, wrote a couple more drafts and um, I submitted one of the sections to so I, I basically made it as a sound piece and I submitted it to Radiophrenia um, and they so they broadcast it um and that was a really interesting exercise because of how the relation it made me have to how the thing sounded so I was then invited to um speak at a conference uh and I read from it and my publisher um was actually also speaking at the conference and she said to me afterwards if you are looking for a publisher for that I'd be quite interested in in publishing um but you know I think you could maybe go to a bigger publisher which I thought was you know, very generous of her, but really I couldn't imagine anyone I wanted to publish it more or um, somewhere I felt that it fitted in with the rest of the um, material that they produce um, in the same sort of way. So um, it, it's taken me quite a long time and we've been quite interrupted, but finally um, she, I think, you know, kicked me into completing it Um, and it's actually now out in the world, which is kind of, which is kind of strange. And, um, it was very strange to see it as an object, um, and to read back what had at one point been very familiar to me. And it's almost like it's written by someone else. So, yeah. So, so that's kind of how, that's how it came about. And I think I was very lucky in that, um, uh, for my bibliotheque, my publisher, and Sharon Kivland, who is the is the publisher, um, that she has a very um a very interesting approach to um sort of experimental art writing, literary writing. I'm not sure she would actually give it either of those names, but just you know writing of some kind. Um, so, you know, she was really able to see how how that actually might work. So.
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting book. It's very hard to um, define, I think, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But I'd like you to tell us a l- little bit more about, I guess, the, the way this book has come together and um, mm-hmm. the structure you've used to kind of, yeah. I get, and the, and the themes also that you cover within this book, because I think it's really interesting because you do respond to a lot of those, like, uh, myths that Kalato has in his work. And you've yeah. responded to them in a in a very, I guess, modern like 2020, 2021, 2022 kind of way. <laughs> so could you tell us a little bit about those themes that you cover in that format?
1: Well, I, I guess I can't cover them in any way than it, in the time that I'm in. Yeah. Um, right. So, so um, you know, I'm not writing or, or making into a void, you know, I'm not a void that obviously I'm really um responding to kind of current politics. Um, and I think there's a sense in which, you know, th- there is, I mean, there is so much to be said about uh, mythology and its roots in sexual violence, for example. Um, and I think that it, in lots of the kind of texts that um, you're seeing coming out, which are sort of more rewritings, that is made more, that's made pretty clear. Um, so um, the structure is, is tripartite so there are um there is the myth itself there is the voice of the mythographer um uh, brackets me <laughs> um although that is me as a as as narrator rather than you know me as subject um and then there is the theorizing about myth so that's the kind of the way that it works and that's why i'm trying to kind of the text slips between those three positions um, which is why it has that structure and um, it's very strange to see it in a book size you know in a kind of like a paperback size because it all feels really close whereas when I've been working on this you know it's been a, a, a four size it's been double spaced so it's very clear um, and I think it's less clear, actually, and and maybe more slippery when you see it in the in the book format. Yeah. Um, well, with so, the, I guess, with
0: that visual element of the book, like in the yeah. novel, like you have set yeah. it up as in like there is a left column, uh, yeah. and then there's a middle column where you yeah. you're the mythographer, and yeah. then there's the right column which is kind of the commentary. And yeah, so which it is the theorization. Yeah. yeah, and so it's kind of it is split up in that book, and it did take me quite a while to actually work out who was saying what yeah. but um, yeah I can see how that would make a big difference if it was on a in a bigger format I suppose but in the book yeah. like it does read quite well um, in that format because I think you do get it it just it, yeah. it does take a little bit of while and you're right it is a bit more slippery
1: but I, I think I quite but I also quite like that because I like the sense of um, because actually information is slippery mm. and narrative is slippery. and when sometimes we're really not sure who's speaking or what's going on. Um, and I think that sense of finding where you are in the text, um, and this is, this is as it were not my first rodeo with that kind of format so my PhD was in a format where you read across chapters so you didn't read like one sequentially then two then three you read one you know one and four I think at the same time um and part of that is because I'm really interested in this um uh kind of the way that um I guess theorization and narrative kind of permeate. Um, but also, I think, you know, in, in terms of art, we talk a lot about practice and theory and not being, you know, people will say, oh, but is that your practice or is that your theory? And I'm just like, the two things, they're the same, actually. And the experience of making work is so much like having those two things running side by side that I just wanted to find a way of doing that. And I think doing that was what actually probably prompted those sorts of, that that column, but because I had that structure really f- very quickly into the kind of first draft, that was, I knew that was right straight away. Um, it wasn't particularly sophisticated. I mean, I, I don't think the decisions are that sophisticated, but I think um, it worked for me. And that was kind of what I wanted. I felt like I could um, identify those things. Um, although still there are times even up to the last draft there were times when I had things in column three which I then shifted over to column one um, as it as I was trying to work out and actually as it changed about who I thought was or what I thought a kind of like a block of text was actually doing Um, but I was yeah I think I was really interested in the way that we use these sorts of um, the way that that we use these sorts of myths, I don't know, as, as kind of um, cornerstones of um, of our telling ourselves about our histories. And um, I don't know if I, see, I don't know if I have very much that's very interesting to say about this because I kind of, I've written it. Mm. Um, and this is that moment where I really feel like an artist. And I'm like, well, I don't have much to say about the work because what I have to say is in the work. In the work yeah. That's kind of, that's the thing that it is. Mm. Um, it is the thing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could, I'm, I'm looking over here as I'm talking to you and that's because I can see a copy of it out of the corner of my eye mm-hmm. and I'm just sort of like eyeing it. Like it's something I've never seen before <laughs> this kind of, um, well, you're different every time. Um, but I was really interested in being able to sort of foreground that, um, that the way that story, you know, that, 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 the the narrative, not the narrative, but the way in which stories and who gets to speak are actually really as important as what's spoken or what's said. So for me, that was kind of something that felt very current. Um, and then obviously there's a kind of um, the more, um, I guess, kind of post, I don't really want to say post me too, but that kind of sense of calling things what they are rather than kind of using romantic language around them um and um also you know I found myself being really annoyed with Calasso a lot um you know much as you know he would be my um you know if I were only allowed one it, one person to read their books forever I would pick him um because I think this you know it's he, his mind was so interesting and so so incredibly varied and incredibly flexible um but I was really annoyed I felt like actually you should have queried this why did you not query why why have you just kind of accepted this format of thinking about it and I felt like he could have done something with that having said that I was writing in a really different time so and also uh, you know I'm a woman so I'm writing from a very different perspective um and a very different reading of those sorts of that sort of material so yeah
0: it is very so, interesting um, yeah. And he's a very interesting writer. And yeah, I think I, I can see how you would feel that about him. And um yeah, yeah but he is certainly interesting in what he's written.
1: I, I think what I really liked about him as a writer was that I found all of the material, I found it really unclassifiable. Mm. You know, I, I couldn't say, oh, it's this thing or it's that thing. And people would say to me, What what is it that you're interested in? And I was just like, I don't know. They're like a kind of potent magic. Um, they seem to have many elements of things that i'm interested in in them um this kind of but i think it's that kind of um you know it's the reporting on things it's the commentary it's the um it's the contextualization the positioning the expanding that he does uh, over so many different and he ranges so f- very fluidly over such a wide variety of material i found it really ex- sort of expanded um and that I just found very interesting compared to lots of things which I feel like want you to do one thing. So maybe, maybe it's just that. Maybe maybe it's I see my own desire to for multiplicity in Calasso. Mm.
0: Um, you were talking to me before we started recording about some of the other writing projects you're working on. Do you want to tell us a bit more about those little things?
1: So I'm um, I've just um in in a sort of off the back of really and um maybe straight following uh finishing fabule um i decided to take a similar tactic with another text that i uh really enjoy but for very different reasons and um but but not unconnectedly um and um i decided uh, i'd rewrite the secret history done by Donna tart but from camilla's point of view um so i think i'm um, having read quite a lot of commentary um, around the limitations of the the kind of the development of the character of the female characters in in this particular novel um I thought it'd be very interesting to try and pick out um what who she was what she thought what she actually what she saw so um I think in some ways it's kind of almost a technical exercise so I'm I'm not really sure whether it's I mean, it's come to something in so far as I've got a draft, but I don't know whether it will ever come to something in terms of being published. But, um, so I have a, a, what I did was I spent a lot of time, um, making all of the statements, uh, made about her into I statements. Um, so it becomes, so the text actually becomes really, really different. Um, and this was, um, something that I'd, uh, thought about on the back of a book, um, uh, by uh, the London-based Collective Bank um, and their fax-back service um, where they commented on gallery um, press releases. Um, And there was part of that where they were actually turning things into I statements. And um, I just really enjoyed the kind of the anarchy of it, really. So I thought, I'll do that. And then I decided um, a little while later, so I tend to run lots of projects all at the same time. And um, I also started to write what was initially an essay, and now I think so it's either a very long essay or a very short book um, about kissing and about kissing in art. Um, but the thing about the book is that it also what I'm well what I'm trying to do with it is I'm trying to make it also take the form of a kiss. So, but also a really specific kiss. Are you gonna kiss, put
0: like a? Are you gonna slip like a little? like tongue picture inside
1: <laughs> well I I might <laughs> <laughs> I might so I think this is kind of um so I guess one of the things I'm really interested in is in the erotics of reading um and you know we talk about it quite a lot um and I was thinking about the experience of reading different kinds of of material um and different kinds of um kind of processes that you go through um and so what I decided was I wanted to make it like the experience of reading should be the one where in that moment before you kiss someone you've wanted to kiss for a really long time for the first time and something very specific happens. And I just thought, actually, that's a really interesting thing that I kind of want to, to work with in some way. And this is this is how I've begun working on that. I literally have no idea how it will end up. But this is this is what I'm going with for now. And we'll see where we get to um, you know, in due course. So and, and that's the thing that I can never really, because of the way I work, I can never really tell you how it's gonna come out. Um, you know, what starts in one mode might end up being you know, sung in a, a chapel or it might be um, a book or it might be, you know, a series of large sculptures or, you know, a performance. I never know. Yeah. That's part of the fun.
0: Yeah. All right. So. Let's talk about some of your gateway books. What were some of the okay. books that got you into the world of literature and arts?
1: Okay. So I think, I think uh, my, my classic gateway book, I think, so I think I read a lot as a child. Um, I'm an only child, so it was one of those things where, you know, it's kind of what only children do a lot, isn't it? It's like your your parents have to entertain you in some way, so they teach you to read and they let you get on with it. Um, but I think most of my reading in a way that was really active started when I went to university. And this, so um, The Pillar Book of Seishon again is my gateway, is my absolute gateway book. So I just love her. <laughs> She's so mean. She's mm. so mean, and her observations are so tiny and so perfect. And it was the first time I think I'd ever read I'd ever heard a voice that I felt like I could have said some of the things that she said in a book. And I think I've just been reading it on and off ever since. Um, so she's she's where I go to. She's still where I go to on a rainy day. And the first version I read was the Ivan Morris version the translation so and this is actually I have a really fancy one now which is um, made by the Folio Society and it's also like black silk and really beautiful but this is the actual first one so um, so the pillow book of station again and her her lists and her kind of really um, uh, incredible eye for observation so that was one and then there was um. So I don't have my my copy of this is actually upstairs by my bed and it's the selected poems and letters of Gerard Manley Hopkins and um, so as a very recalcitrant badly behaved 16 year old um, I sat in a class while my English teacher read The Wreck of the Deutschland to us and his engagement with it and his absolute Um, passionate embrace of the language blew my tiny mind (laughs) frankly I was just like oh wow actually I was so uh stunned by his um not minding that we could see him being so engaged with it um that I was intrigued and um I began to read Hopkins myself so you know which was a set text um but which I, I began to read, you know, purely for the pleasure of reading it out loud, and I just adored what he did with, um, with words. <laughs> it's just really banal, um. You know, I was not particularly interested in in his sort of um, you know, religious background or anything like that. But I was incredibly interested in how he could make things sound, and how they could make me feel. So that was another of my gateway books. And then um, I have um, Susan Stewart on longing narratives of the miniature the gigantic the souvenir and the collection and I guess this was because I didn't realize you could write about all of those things all of these things in a way which would I could then read like reading a novel and so I think this was kind of my, my maybe my first experience of reading about material and about situations rather than stuff with plot um so that's really important to me and then um Ron Bart's The Pleasures of the Text, um, which I read, again, at university. And, yeah, I don't really know what else I have to say to that other than it's kind of structured whatever happened afterwards. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah. But so I have this in the book form, which is never opened, because I actually have a printout um that I have annotated <laughs> over the years and which sits on my um I have a funny little I don't know if you can see it this kind of funny little thing behind me yeah which is kind of new these are all the books that until Friday sat on my desk. <laughs> um, and now they, they sit here uh, so I can kind of I can look at them. So yeah, so I think they are my my kind of my four gateway books.
0: Wow.
1: Gateway to a happy reading life.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of that, what books are you currently reading or enjoying at the moment?
1: So I have just read um, Daniela Cascella's Chimeras from Sublunary, Mm -hmm. um, which is really incredible um, about translation or translation and gesture, and I'm still very, you know, unsure about really what this is, Um, but it feels incredibly in dialogue with fabulé. Um, and she has these um, encounters with um, uh, three other writers, and one of whom is Colosso. Um So uh, she's also published a, a kind of a, a sister text to this, which I haven't yet read. So, um, but I'm hoping to go to Small Publishers um, Fair in London on Friday and pick that up as well. Okay. So, um, but this is absolutely brilliant. Okay. It's... It's described as a deranged essay, an imaginary conversation, a translation. And it is um it's like being spellbound. So that's um I've also really recently read um this um agitated air, which um by poems, um I don't even know how to pronounce this, after Ibn Arabi by Yasmin Searle and Robin Moja. Um and I just really I mean it's it's stunningly beautiful, just like heart ripping. You know, just um, but I was really um fascinated. I went to a um a an event where they both spoke and uh, they both spoke about how they the process of making the book. Um, and I was just really intrigued by it. Um so um they've kind of uh translated separately and together and then sort of worked into each other's translations, and I think it's just made something which feels incredibly um current but also utterly timeless and um i really recommend that um yeah. and just arrived so my my reading for later is going to be um swoop by hayley Lighthouser, which is the first book of poems mm-hmm. so i've not i don't know what it's like i've not read it yet but um one of my favorite poets um sarah jane sloat had tweeted about it um at the weekend or maybe even last week. And I looked at it and thought, oh, I think that might be for me. So, um, uh, by which I mean there's some kind of intensity to language that, um, you know, which is so there was a sort of an intensity and um, something which felt very detailed and very specific. So, yeah, so that, that's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, the Kymeros yeah. thing, I'm definitely going to pick that up, I think.
1: Yeah, and, and and also I've been reading a lot of Bataille because I'm uh, uh, attending a a, re- a death reading group. Okay. So I've basically read um, Bataille's Accursed Share one, 1, 2 and 3 over the last three weeks. So I'm feeling a bit like...
0: <laughs> wow, okay, yes. I've read some Bataille and, yeah. yes, I don't know. It, it's very intense reading so
1: it's really it's it's really intense reading it's actually really great i'm much more familiar with his kind of novels and his poetry mm-hmm. so but this feels like it really underpins everything you know that then comes after or came before i'm not quite sure which way around but um yeah i it's it's been quite hard so
0: yeah need a holiday need like a nice easy read after all that but i
1: yeah <laughs> Yeah, I definitely do. Some kind of nice bit of spy fiction or something like that. So. That's right.
0: We'll take a quick break here on Beyond Zero. We're speaking with Isabella Streffen. This episode is brought to you by the Mass Foundation. If you're found in possession of the unauthorized biography of Ezra Mass by Daniel James, we know who you are. We are coming for you. We're back on Beyond Zero. It's time for Isabella's Desert Island Books.
1: So I'm going to go with um, Colasso's Marriage of caprice and Harmony, because I think even now I could still just keep reading that and reading it. Um, and I've also gone with Donna Tartt's The Secret History, because, again, that's something that I... It's a, it's a read where um, uh, I find some really interesting details every time. Um, but um, I've also got Ia um, e. Christensen's Alphabet, which is something I only read last year but which has kind of had a really enormous impact on me and I feel like I could read it forever so I feel like there'd always be something for me in that if I was stuck on a desert island and in fact I think I've said that this this might be the thing that I'm sending to people now when I love them so um, tell me
0: a bit more about that I haven't heard of that book
1: yeah so it is um i guess it's a i mean what they what they actually say is it's kind of like a framework of some like forms um but so she starts um there's this really sorry so there's this really kind of incredible piece where she goes um doves exist dreamers and dolls killers exist and doves and doves and haze dioxin and days days exist days and death and poems exist poems days death and it's really repetitive um but i kind of really love the rhythm that she manages to kind of elicit. Um, and I think this one where she talks about, she says um, early fall exists aftertaste, afterthought, seclusion and angels exist, widows and elk exist, every detail exists, memory, memories, light, afterglow exists, oaks, elms, junipers, saners, loneliness exist, eider ducks, spiders and vinegar exist on the future, the future. And there's something about the kind of incantational um, element of this that I think is is just really incredible but it really is a kind of um uh I guess a kind of um meditation um about the ecological crisis Mm. so um so that's that I think is that's a forever book um and I think um going on from that um I have actually found this really difficult, but Maurice Blanchot's The Gaze of Orpheus. So I think that was, again, that this could quite easily have been a gateway book, yeah. but it is a book that I just come back to over and over and over. Um, and I think about, not necessarily in the way that Blanchot would have wanted me to, but I think I find it really rich for stealing from. Um, so um, so I've got Blanchot and I've got um, Bart's Lover's Discourse because um, if I'm going to be stuck on a desert island, I want to read about love a lot. And also because I've been working on a piece um, about this book for quite a while now, um, which hopefully will have some kind of come to fruition at some point next year. Um, And I've got um, Anne Carson's translations of Sappho, if not winter. Um, Again, which is just the kind of thing that I, I guess I really like to read poetry quite a lot. Um, but um, this, again, there's something about the truncatedness and the the kind of the desire for compression, um, which I think is something that's really important to me in text and, and perhaps in, in art too. Um, and, um, you know, I also have the kind of uh, the Anne Carson workshop story um, which I will allude to and then move swiftly on from but um, I just really love these um, they're very beautiful and then I have a book called Pretty sure this is a book it's a journal actually and it's the journal of the Centre for Freudian Analysis and Research and it's called In the Place of an Object um, and I first read this as an undergraduate and it talks about a series of exhibitions and what I just really love is the way that it writes about art. Um, And it really writes from a psychoanalytic point of view. Um, And so that is, this is one of my most precious books because you can't really get it now. Um, But yeah, so um, I like this because it has all my notes in and it also has some incredible artwork in it. Um, And then I've gone for um, Carol Masso's Oriole. Uh, purely because of its kind of, uh, I guess, the fragility of it and the play of language and the way that um, I feel like every time I read it, I come away with another linguistic puzzle. Um, Okay, so I'm going to get a bit more traditional now. Suzette Mayers, this is a proper novel, Dr. Edith Vane and the Hairs of Crawley Hall. Um, So this is a a hallucinogenic academical (laughs) So um, it's a very, very strange book. And what I would say is if you are a woman working in academia, read carefully, you know, read with concern for yourself in your heart. Uh, But it's also, um, it felt for me like it really summed up um, something about, about, um, you know, what it means to be a woman in academia. And um, it's very, it's very strange. Um, I've gone on to read, so this is the first of her novels that I've read and I've gone on to read the others and she's got a new one which has just come out, um, I think, but this one is, um, yeah, it's 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 weird. I keep recommending it to people and I think they like it um, and it is very much a sort of traditional novel format, uh, but there's clearly something very, very strange going on at the heart of it and, and I'm here for it. And then finally, I think this is the thing that I've enjoyed reading the most perhaps over the last year and a half, which is Lisa Robertson's Baudelaire Fractal. Um, And this is on my list because I think if there were a book that I ever felt were written, purely for me, it's this one. Um, I really like the... um, She talks about all of the sorts of things that I'm interested in. um, And I really like the premise of it, that one day she just woke up and wrote the works of Baudelaire. Um, And I think there's something, you know, there's something very... Um, risky about this as a book um, I think there is you know there's some sort of incredible work between um, the novelistic and the essayistic and and theory um, which kind of feels like it takes root in this book which also talks about dresses and touch points for me in my own life. So yeah, I love this. And if I only had to take one, it would be this one.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Okay. I'm gonna have to check that out. Quite a few of the books on your list I'll have to check out, I think.
1: Well I, I think there's a kind of um you know the I think that um I mean you know it's not like I didn't look. Uh, you know what other books people who you've spoken to have talked about and you know a lot of them were talking about you know really important books um and, and you know sort of literarily you know canon um and actually i thought i actually don't come from that tradition hmm. um and those aren't the books you know it would be really nice to say um you know and wonderful though it is that you know ulysses was a book which i would want to take to a desert island but actually i wouldn't <laughs> um <laughs> you know great and rich and 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 fantastic there is actually there's there's other things that I kind of want um from reading and I think I get them this is the pile that I think I get them from so um so it's been a bit of a work of a bit of a labor of love really trying to work out what exactly which which are the books I have this fantasy because I have lots of books and I have this fantasy that one day I will have um a single shelf yeah and what and 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 it will be the shelf. <laughs> It'll be the shelf, and I won't really need to cart these books around with me anymore yeah. because you know when you come to move, they're really, really heavy. Mm. so um and they take up a lot of space. um, so what would what would be the books, which are the books? um, and I guess this is a start on that shelf
0: perfect. Well, glad to have helped out. <laughs> Thank you very much for sharing them. That's, it's my pleasure. Um, all right, well, we should probably wrap it up. But before we do, do you okay. want to tell us where we can go buy your book?
1: <laughs> how does it begin? Yes, yeah, so, so this is me trying to answer Colasso's question. How does it begin? Yes. Um, so you can go to, uh, so my bibliotech has a website and you can buy direct from a publisher. Or if you are, um, you know, at various small publishers' fairs um, in the UK um, for the rest of the year, you might be able to buy it there too.
0: Brilliant. And where can we catch up with you online?
1: Uh, you can catch up with me um uh on my Twitter um, where I tweet is at Minx Marple, and I have a website which is uh isabellastreffen.com, but it's not very up to date and you you're
0: in on Instagram as well aren't you
1: I I am but my account's locked so
0: <laughs> oh no oh dear Mark Zuckerberg what have you done
1: <laughs> I don't no, no I've locked it <laughs> <laughs> i have locked it because i just had you know one too many um you know um uh, american military men you know asking me for dates
0: (laughs) (laughs) yes i get i get priests asking me to invest in their uh cryptocurrency so which is great that's way more interesting though (laughs) yeah um (laughs) anyway all right well it's been a pleasure speaking with you and um yeah hope we can catch up again soon
1: And thank you so much for asking me. It's been a delight.
0: Thanks once again to Isabella Streffen. check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at beyond zero Pod, and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message over at anchor.fm forward slash beyondzero. You can support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Beyond the Zero. We'll be back with your next episode next week.